0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So here's um, part of the premise of this series is what we're for rather than what we're against. What's interesting to me, and maybe this is partly personality-based, but we can make the dumbest arguments for or against stuff that doesn't really matter, but we are passionate about it. So um, I'll give you a couple of examples. How many people um, feel strongly about pineapple on pizza? Just let me see your hands. You to participate. And then who's the no pineapple on pizza people? Okay, here, here's another one that I think is a little bit um, more important. How many are pro socks with sandals? You really need to get your life together. I I love you. I'm not trying to call you out. Don't let that uh, keep you from answering the rest of these. I won't berate anybody else. Uh, Toilet paper over. Which that's the correct answer. Toilet paper under, people. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Uh, A couple more. Pulp with orange juice. Okay, thank you. I'm the only one in my family, and guess who loses in my family when it comes to what orange juice we buy. Um, How many, like, you can't stand it, so no pulp orange juice? Okay. Um, And there's, I could go on and on, like, so a bunch of these I don't really understand, but these are big, big arguments. I know this because of some of the people that work on staff, of like Marvel versus DC, best Batman ever, um, you know, the best gaming consoles, which I don't understand that world, but some of you that Like, that's your life. Um, Other things, like, I mean, you go on and on. The bet, like, there's always huge debates over the best series finale for like Netflix shows, or then those who just totally bomb. So, just, and you can get into passionate debates about it. Now, one of the things about my personality that I probably need help with is I, even if I don't believe something, I'll just argue the other side because it's fun. So we'll be in meetings and, and nobody will be giving the alternative perspective. And so I'll just pick it up without telling anybody and start arguing the complete other side of something. And then we'll get to the end and like we have to make a decision. So like, is that what you think we should do? I'm like, no, I don't believe any of that. I just was arguing the other side of it. It's just fun. But we can make arguments about anything, for or against anything. And it's crazy. But what we said in this series, when it comes to Christianity following Jesus and the church and those who represent it, It becomes a big deal when we become known for what we're against rather than what we're for. And maybe that's not a big deal to you, and I could spend forever talking about this, but as you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this was the essence of Jesus on planet Earth, was letting people know what he was for, And I think in our current cultural context, this is a real problem. And yes, there are things that, you know, you could look at and go, maybe we should be against that or that injustice and all of that is right. But the primary kind of leader in what we claim as followers of Jesus is the fact that we are for people, every people. And when Christianity becomes nothing more than everything that we're against in regard to division and politics and us and them and that group of people and all of our opinions and culture wars about stuff that it's like, I don't know if Jesus cares about. We end up, I think, losing a lot of our influence and culture. And we actually give up, I think, what Jesus designed and desired the local church and Christians to be in our culture. Because the reality is what Jesus made really clear is that he was for everybody. Because everybody matters to God. This is such a big deal, whether God matters to them or not. And that should be kind of the the dominant example or characteristics of Christians who are following Jesus. And when we give up that in culture, we don't have the impact on people that Jesus had. And this is a big deal because this is how some of us grew up. You've kind of grown up with Christianity that's more about what you believe than what you do. And what you believe is important. I'm all about that. I've studied theology for years, but the New Testament is really clear. If you focus all on what you believe and it doesn't change how you live your life, you don't live different if you don't do some stuff. I mean, this is the New Testament writers. Then your beliefs honestly are irrelevant. I just tell you, we'll we'll come back to this later. Your beliefs aren't changing anybody. How we live, what we do, what people see from us is what ultimately matters. And first century Christians, they got this. And they understood that Jesus' message was attractive. It was invitational. There, there was something that just drew people in. And they took the idea that Jesus said in the upper room, that I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. And I want you to go into a culture that, especially in the first century, feels like it's against you. And I want you to rep me, and I want you to let the world know what you are for. And ultimately, Jesus would say what I'm for. And first century Christians, if you know this, I love history. They did that. They took that seriously. In fact, look at what first century Christians did. Now, for some of you, that doesn't mean a whole lot. For others of you, it does. This is the Colosseum in Rome. This is the very place where Christians were fed the lions as a sport and people people cheered, they had big foam fingers and it was like a huge event. This is where, that's probably too far. This is where um, you know, Nero, Nero is the emperor of Rome. Rome is the occupying force. I mean, they dominated everything. And if you were a follower of the way, if you were a Christian and you held to your faith, you might end up being taken through this main entrance into that Colosseum and giving up your life for what you said you believe. And if any of you know history, if you can just imagine with me for a second, imagine around 64, 65 AD, Nero, if you know anything about him, he's emperor of Rome. And he basically burns down half of Rome and then blames it on this knockoff call as he saw the Christians. It's like, well, they did it. And if you were to go outside of the city of Rome, knowing that Christians are being fed to lions, that Nero would actually light Christians on fire in order to illuminate his garden, if you were to go outside of the city of Rome and somehow you knew the future and you were to gather with families and with slaves and people who are fearing for their life, but they're trying to be faithful to Jesus, but they know it could cost them everything. Imagine if you could go into those spaces with those families, those slaves, and those individuals who are hiding out and go, listen, I know you can't even imagine this, but there's gonna be a day we're in the very Colosseum where Christians are being fed to lions as sport. One day in the future, that very entrance will be adorned with a cross. That one day, and I know you guys can't imagine this, but just for just a second, I know you're afraid for your life, but in a couple thousand years, in fact, in the the city of Rome, crosses will dominate the landscape of Rome. And what you have to know is they're not going to represent Roman crucifixion. Nobody will even care anymore. They will represent one singular crucifixion a carpenter out of Nazareth named Jesus that you guys are trying to remain faithful to. And I know it doesn't seem possible, but there's gonna be a day where all of this, the might of Rome, Nero and his ruthlessness, that temples will become tourist attractions, and the very Colosseum where Christians were fed to lions, there's gonna be a memorial to Peter. Like, there's gonna be a day where nobody's gonna worry about Nero anymore. In fact, they're gonna name their pizza and their dogs Nero, they're going to name their kids Peter and John. All of history is going to change. And I know you can't imagine it, but that day is coming. And those people who are huddled up and afraid for the life would have gone. There's no way. Rome's forever. The god Jupiter is forever. Nero is never going to be thwarted. Come on. We're a fledgling movement. We have no money, no platform, no influence, no standing. What in the world kind of impact are we going to make with a couple hundred people? And you would be able to say, and I'm telling you, you are going to change the world. And you're going to upend an empire. And one day, the message of Jesus is going to be everywhere. And nobody will worship Jupiter anymore. And 300 years later, if you know history, that's exactly what happened. They upended an empire without ever raising a sword or assembling an army. And the very empire that crucified Jesus saw Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because first century Christians took seriously what Jesus said. Now, you know what's interesting? Do you know what the shutdown, the empire, changed the world, crazy faith, will die for it, nothing's going to stop us. Do you know what that speech was? It was Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. We looked at it several weeks ago, so I'm not going to go in detail. But I'm just going to read a couple verses to remind you if you weren't here for that last series. Um, and statistically, about one-fifth of you weren't, or four-fifths of you weren't. Um, it's not a shot. That's just reality. But here's the shut down the empire, change the world, crazy faith that's going to change everything, speech. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, I say this all the time, if you're listening on radio, watching, um, podcasting, you're not accountable to any of this because you haven't signed on to follow Jesus. So I get really annoyed at Christians that try to put Christian values over you when you're not following Jesus. Paul made that really clear in the New Testament, so um, you should inform people about that. So you're not obligated to any of this. But what I'm about to talk about, this is what you should have experienced from Christians. And if you haven't, it's because we got it wrong. But here's Jesus' speech, just real quick. I just want to remind you of it because this is, they're like, okay, here's how you're going to change the world, guys. Ready? This is what's going to upend everything. And so Jesus starts in Matthew 5. He gathers a crowd of hundreds, maybe thousands. He says to his disciples, end of verse 1, they came to him. He's like, okay, here it is. Here's, I'm going to begin to teach. This is shut down the Roman Empire. And again, if you've heard this or you're here a couple weeks ago, this speech is like, eh, that's weak, That's really passive. I have to imagine, this is my imagination, but they're saying to Jesus, okay, all due respect, Jesus, obviously you don't know how to get things done. Because what you're about to, and you'll see it when I read it, this is not gonna accomplish anything. And so here's what Jesus says, you guys ready? Yeah, you guys ready? Yeah, thanks. Verse two, he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's not how you start off if you're trying to change anything. Basically, humble, dependent. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Basically, blessed are the emotionally connected. Blessed are the meek. And you're like, are you serious? And everybody who's listening, again, just so we can just be honest, they're like, are you from around here, Jesus? Like, have you seen what's happening in the world? Because we can't even control our own land. And if we're to to be honest, and not a lot of people are in church, like, you hear meekness, and you're like, yeah, that's great. I wouldn't want my daughter to marry anybody who's meek because we don't really understand what Jesus is talking about. We just think weak. And yet, this is Jesus. We're going to change the world's speech. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will have clarity about God. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. They're like, really? Do you know who Nero is? Have you heard about his bio? Do you know what happens in Rome? This is no way to retake anything. I mean, again, honestly, you take that into your office, some of you are thinking, I, I'm not going to get anywhere. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And again, okay, so you're talking about persecution for doing what is right. Jesus, love you. That's not going to get us very far. We live in Rome. Blessed, verse 11, just keeps getting worse. Are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, thanks, Jesus, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You guys ready? Ready to change the world? Ready to light every... No, they responded exactly the way you did, minus two of you. What? That's not going to change anything. That's not going to accomplish anything. We're just going to get run over like we're already getting run over. Do you know what happens in the Colosseum? Basically, if, if first century followers were to summarize, this was their summary. So what you're saying is that we need to be poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for our reward in heaven. Seriously? And yet... Within 300 years, Jesus and the message of Jesus is everywhere. And nobody is worshiping the pantheon of gods any longer. And ethics that were not present in first century culture all of a sudden showed up in culture simply because these Jesus followers took that seriously. And honestly... Christianity in the West, we hear all of those things and go, that's cute, and you should try to you know, implement some of those things. That's not the way to do anything in the world or make any kind of difference, and yet Jesus would beg to differ, and history would say otherwise. But then Jesus wasn't done, right? And some of you know these, these lines really, really well, but I want you to just kind of come with a fresh perspective. Just throw out everything you already know for a second and go with me on a journey for the next 25 minutes. Jesus said this, you are And he comes to this place to talk about this is who we are, and he gives us this word picture. You are. And he's saying this, first of all, to these first century followers of Jesus, afraid for their life. You are the salt of the earth. You are the preservative of the world. And you guys know about salt, right? But here's the technical definition. It's a substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. And here's Jesus' point. Hey, you guys that are afraid for your life, about to get fed to lions, hoping you don't become a lamp in Nero's garden. Culture seems so bad, so far from, I mean, it's just everything is horrible. That's why I, laugh, I mean, lovingly laugh at people today. They're like, it's never been worse. Really? <laughs> and Jesus said to this group of people, you guys are the preservative of the entire earth. I've said this before, but this is such a big deal if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not, again, you can just ignore all this or call us hypocrites. But I just want to tell you this, that wherever God has placed you because you're a follower of Jesus, that environment, that space, and that place should be better because of you. And it doesn't matter where it is. We'll talk about this more in a second. It doesn't matter whether you like it. It doesn't matter whether you had chosen it or not. It doesn't matter whether it's fun or not. It doesn't matter whether this was your life plan or not. All of that is basically irrelevant. But wherever Jesus followers step in, even if it's not what they had dreamed, God has placed them there for a reason. And wherever that space and place is, it ought to be better because you're there. And if you're a follower of Jesus and whatever you're stepping into is not impacted influence and change because of you. It's because we've never been awakened to this reality because salt always preserves. Salt always makes a difference. Salt always makes an impact. And where Jesus followers find themselves, that space should be better. You're the salt Of the earth. In fact, Jesus' point really is this around this idea that that you are the ingredient in this time and space, in your generation, in the place that God's placed you, even though you feel insignificant, that, that you and then we collectively are really the ingredient to keep culture from decaying at a more rapid rate. That's really, and I don't know if you know, again, anything about first century culture. Culture was rotting fast. Again, just a little perspective. If you think it's bad or where you're at is bad and man, things are so hard, it was bad. Culture was decaying rapidly. Women were considered half a person in the first century, basically. They had no value, no rights, were inferior to men. Children were discarded. I mean, literally discarded on what they would call dunghills if they couldn't carry on the, the inheritance. Might always made right. So if you had power, you could set the scale for morality, and nobody would even question it. That's how the world works. You have power. You can determine what's morality. The rich always ruled over the poor, and nobody questioned that. You heard me talk about this. There was a class system, not just in terms of culture with people. There was a class system with gods. Like, if you didn't have a good job, sorry, you got low-rung god. You got Bob who couldn't even grow your crops. <laughs> If you were upper middle class, you got Zeus and Jupiter. I mean, everything was off. Everything was, cr- I mean, like, you know this, compassion, just, just go with me for a second, because you consider this normative. It's not. Compassion was considered weakness. That changed when Jesus showed up. Kings, you know this, they would, they would brutally murder their kids to carry on their throne. And we can't even imagine that. Unless you've gone to some other country, you get glimpses of other parts around the world that still in some ways function like that. But I'm telling you, Jesus shows up, if you can just have the picture in your mind, in that kind of culture and says, you guys, there's about 120 of you, with not even a community college education, you guys are the preservative for the entire earth. You're gonna change the world. And what you think is normative in culture is not Jesus showed up and he introduced it and these guys then began to take hold of it and it started to change everything. I mean, some of the things that we just take for granted, some of you believe in the idea of one God. I'm just telling you, when Jesus stepped foot on planet earth, nobody held to that view. There's the pantheon of gods. The idea that every person is created in the image of God, even their theology of the gods didn't view people as made in the image of God. Nobody thought that. The idea that dignity goes beyond one's political power and social capital, nobody questioned that in the first century. The idea that women are not inferior to men, that the strong defend the weak, and that's something even if you're not connected to God, you're not sure about God, you're like, yeah, that's how the world should work. Not before Jesus. That we should live generous lives, even if we don't know why, we don't know that it's some you know, value from God, we just know we should do it. That forgiveness... Not revenge is what love demands of our life. The ideas that the marriage covenant is sacred wasn't existent in the first century, that there is more to this life and the way that we live, it matters. And I'm just telling you, this first century followers of Jesus, they were moving forward with an ethic in the world that was really unknown by the ancient world. And Jesus says to them, you are the preservative of a decaying and rotting culture. Basically, even though you have no standing, which they didn't, you're the last stand. That God's gonna use you if you take this seriously. You are the salt, the preservative of the entire earth. And then he says this other really famous line that you know well. And you are the what? We'll try one more time. (laughs) And you are the what? Light of the world. Like you're like, and, and again, like, I, I think we hear that, and that's great. It's like a Christian coffee mug, and they'll sell it for $25 and like whatever, and it's cute. But I think the idea of what Jesus means and what is wrapped up in light of the world, I think we're just kind of like, well, can I just give money? Can I just, like, can I just attend church every once in a while? Because this is a big deal. And again, when Jesus said this, they had no idea how big a deal it was. Again, no standing, no influence. He's like, you're going to be the light of the world. And these guys have got to be thinking, Jesus, do you know how big the world is? And Jesus' response would have been, you guys don't know how big the world is. Like several thousand years, there's going to be continents with churches on it that haven't even been discovered yet. So this is an even bigger task and promise than you can even imagine. But you guys are going to be the light of the entire world. A city on a hill that can't be hidden. In the Greek this language is really important because it doesn't have the idea of built it has the idea of placed set strategically positioned in fact in Luke 234 same Greek word has the idea of destined by divine intent now this is a big deal so just Jesus is basically saying to this group of people and he's saying to you that you are a strategically placed city and here's what I know about most of us we don't see any of that. And you immediately go into the like, catalog of all of the ways that you don't measure up and nobody's paying attention to you and you have no influence and it doesn't really matter. If you know how bad my workplace was and if you know how bad my past was and I have no idea how to even decipher you know, the scripture or theology and I don't know a whole lot and right now my relationships are wrecked. Like, Stop, Jesus is saying to you, even though we have so much problem, believe it, that wherever you are right now, think about where you are. Think about where you are right now. The job for some of you that you don't like, others of you, things are tracking in a great direction, but others of you, there's a relationship hanging on by a thread. You're in an environment you don't like. There's some relational conflict with coworkers that you wish you could just end it all. Like you are walking through some dark nights of the soul and you don't know how you're gonna get to the other side. And this promise feels to you like, well, as as soon as that stuff goes away, my circumstances are better. I get my life a little bit better cleaned up. Then I'll be in that position. When I can get a better job and we can move to that city. No. Jesus is going, wherever you are right now, you, listen to me, you are a strategically placed light and city representing your heavenly father. And I just, let me just go hard for just a second. This is such a big deal. And I have so much angst around this for me and everybody else, because I think there is so much of cultural Christianity where we are so tied to our circumstances, and we are so obsessed with career trajectory and our jobs and what's going on at home and whether our kids are obeying the right ways or what we've done and what we haven't done and where we hope to get in five years and our five-year plan and all our Instagram influencers are helping us achieve our best self. And we always have this idea that we're gonna to get to some promised land and you are completely disregarding the fact that in the drive through window, in the job that you hate, in the relationship that's a nightmare, I can't explain it. You wouldn't choose it. You're praying to get out of it. God has placed you there as a strategically placed light and city on a hill to impact the name of Jesus. And if we could understand that, we would be less obsessed with our location and much more obsessed with our calling. And you would get up on Friday completely discouraged and ready to give up. And if you could be awakened to this idea, you'd get up on Monday and everything would change. Not because your circumstances change, but because you finally realize that all of the stuff that you're waiting to change is actually the very thing that God wants to use in this moment of your life. You are a strategically placed city where you are. How dare Christians live lives just trying to survive when they have the spirit of God inside of them and the very thing they're trying to get out of is the very thing God wants to use. And I get that's a high calling, but I didn't set the standard. Jesus did. You're the preservative of the earth. You're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. In verse 15, people don't light a lamp, and different Greek word, put it in a place of no significance, defeat the purpose. Instead, they put, they place strategically it on a stand, and it gives light To everybody in the house, everybody in that environment, everybody that gets close to them. Everybody in the vicinity is affected and impacted by a strategically placed light that decides to shine. And then this is such a big verse. This is, again, this is a part of the change the world, upend the empire speech from Jesus. And in the same way. Let your light shine before men, people, so that they may see your beliefs and say, dang, they're a good Christian. (laughs) I'm glad some of you laughed, because nobody laughed at the 9 a.m. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, do you know that's not a verse? (laughs) You can get the the Bible on your app on the phone there if you want to follow along. It's not a verse. And yeah, honestly, like that's been so much of Christian culture, so much of following Jesus. We're, and I'm, I'm all about beliefs. But your beliefs, the beliefs are a means to an end, to glorify Jesus. And the New Testament writers weren't lying when they said, man, you can have all the beliefs in the world, you can finish your seminary degree, you can you can spend a lifetime studying dispensationalism or covenant theology, and if you get to the end of that and your theology does not lead to a transform, change life that's about what you do, you completely miss the point. It's not so that people will see your belief. Honestly, like this is just the reality in our culture. I'm not saying beliefs are important. People initially are not drawn to Jesus by your theology. They are drawn to Jesus by your life. And the problem is we prioritize 17 other things and that noise has crowded out people even knowing or seeing what we're doing with our life and we're losing the very influence Jesus has placed us on earth to leverage. And so he says, let your light shine before men so that they may, help me out, see your good deeds. Like unusually good. Like I can't believe kind of good. Like, I can't believe they reconciled. I can't believe that they kept going anyway. I can't believe that they remained faithful. I can't believe they stood up under that in that toxic work environment. I can't believe that they continued to try to just be faithful. I can't believe that they walked through that season where God didn't seem to answer their prayer for five years. Like, unbelievably good. And can I just, like talk about the thing that nobody wants to make a series out of and it's not super popular is that the very thing right now that you hate that you want to change that is not your dream for your life is the epicenter of where God wants to make the greatest impact in your life I mean i just tell you from my own life man I'm I am seldom moved by people's pretty little packaged lives I'm moved by people who walk through the valley of the shadow of death and they remain faithful and they do the right thing anyway and they glorify and lift up the name of Jesus and I go, I want that. The reality is that it's in those seasons, those circumstances that they will praise your father in heaven. And I just can't unearth the angst enough that the way we live will connect the dots for people and their Heavenly Father who is inviting them home whether they recognize it or not. I mean, isn't it true that for most people a transformed life or a relationship with Jesus begins with a relationship with one of his followers? You. You. So I I just want to end with these couple things. And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this. If you are, I'm going to intentionally just twist the knife and then I'll exit out the back. (laughs) Don't settle for less. And I just think there's a need for some of us in a season and culture where it's just easier to play this game where, like, I love Jesus, can't wait for heaven, and just we're not doing anything with our life. And we're prioritizing everything in the world over putting Jesus at the center. Like, I'll show up for church when the weather's not good and there's nothing better to do, when I haven't prioritized all my kids' stuff over it. I'll give when it, it's convenient and I don't feel like it costs me anything. When when it's comfortable, then I'll show up. I'll get involved in deep community. If somehow there's a miracle, my life just changes and reorganizes itself on its own. And you've been called to be salt. You've been called to be light. So don't settle for anything else. This is why every year around this time we give, serve, and love because. We want to give money away into the community. We want to serve the community. We want to love people in the community, specifically who are nothing like us, because it is not enough to believe the right things. We are called to do something. And by God's grace, me and a bunch of other people, that's the kind of church we're trying to lead. And so you are the salt of the earth. You are a preservative in a culture that will rot without you, you are light, a strategically placed light to draw attention to your heavenly father. And I just want to say one more time, I, as much as I can, I get it. You got transferred here. You didn't even want to be here. Some of you are in the Tampa Bay area. You hate it because it's 115 degrees all the time. It's not where you wanted to be. Some of you are in a place right now where you, you had to stay and you had to go to community college. And that is not your dream. Others of you are taking care of, of adult parents that are struggling in terms of health and you're trying to be faithful, but this is not what you saw for the season of your life. Others of you had a divorce hit out of nowhere. Others of you, you're in a job that, that was the last job available. Other you, others of you are in a job that it... it You hate it. This is not where you want to be. Others of you, you had a dad that forced you in a sorority and fraternity. You don't want to be a part of it. You don't even really want to go, but he's footing the bill of the tuition. Some of you followed somebody into an area because you were dating, and then they broke up with you. Like, it is so unbelievably random, and I just want to tell you this again. That heartache, that thing that we would never choose, that we would never want, the divorce that came out of nowhere, the school you don't want to be at, the job that's terrible, the coworker that you just wish God would Do something to them, like whatever it is. You are a strategically placed light there. You are a preservative. By God's sovereign decree, you are there, and you can complain about it, and you cannot like it, and you can just keep doing what everybody else does in their culture. I just got to survive, just got to survive, just got to make it through. No, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. And if you could ever, if we could ever be awakened to that, none of your circumstances have to change. And I'm not saying you shouldn't want them to change, but I'm telling you, everything can change like this, where you start to walk with a little humble swagger to go, no, no, wherever God's placed me right now, I have a purpose, I have a divine will, I have a destiny, it is strategic. And so I'm gonna shine bright, I'm gonna be a preservative, and I'm not gonna live the next 10, 20, 30 years just getting my kids into school, or trying to retire, and nobody's gonna remember me anyway, or play some golf and miss out on the one thing God has placed me here to do. Your salt, your light in a culture that needs you, in a workplace that needs you, in a neighborhood that needs you, in an HOA that is the darkest place in the world outside of hell, and it needs you. And come on, isn't it true if you're a follower of Jesus, for a lot of us, is because somebody was salt and light to you? And you think about that person, and you you maybe wouldn't put it in those terms, but strategically placed light. They preserved me at just the right time. There was somebody in my sophomore year in college when I was struggling, this person did not even know this, struggling a lot, just wrestling with God. And God placed them into my life, and like I look back at just the right time. And at some level, I don't think it's overstatement, changed the trajectory of where I think I was going. For some of you, it was a college professor. For some of you, it was a high school friend. For others of you, you look at a teacher, a small group leader, and you're like, man, God strategically placed them in my son and daughter's life at just the right time. For others of you, it's a friend and a friend group that was willing to just live differently and just act and walk a little bit differently for others of you as a coworker, It was just like a random relationship that showed up out of nowhere. And you know what's funny? You look back on those circumstances, and you think, man, God strategically placed them in my life at just the right time. Do you know what they think? None of those things, generally. They think, I was just there, and I was just showing up. And maybe they wouldn't say this, but I was just being salt. I was just being light, But from your perspective, they were a strategically placed city on a hill at just the right time. But they shine so bright in terms of how they live that you couldn't help but notice them. They preserved, and maybe it was that person God led into your life and they didn't judge you, but they were willing to call you when you started to go off the rails and just recognize that you have a higher calling and it started to change things for you. They were willing to be unapologetic about integrity when it really didn't matter, but it just didn't feel like an obligation to them. It felt like, no, no I'm gonna follow Jesus with my life. And you maybe weren't even close to them, but it impacted how you saw the world. Or maybe they were one of those rare people that I just don't think happens a lot anymore where they were willing to be salt and light and live differently. And then at just the right time, they were actually... Be, they were willing to be bold with the name of Jesus outside of a church service. And they were, to talk, they were able to talk about, not like the weird guy, no offense to him, an Ebor with a bullhorn. I'm talking about within relationship, where they were willing, I mean, come on, how many times, let's, let me press hard, have we even uttered the name of Jesus outside of church service? And they were that in your life. They were a city on a hill. And I just wanna say this real quick, and we're gonna to move to the conclusion. You can't do this without being deeply rooted and formed in the local church. And I get that's somewhat unpopular today because so many people have a terrible experience. I get that our church in some ways is designed around that. But when the church imperfectly is on mission, you're not gonna do it without this. You will not have the strength that you need in a culture where everything is working against it. In fact, the New Testament is really clear that we are to gather for strength in community as part of the local church and then scatter for light. We are supposed to be deeply rooted in attending and worshiping together and not doing it every eight weeks, but doing it. No, I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of this body. And whether you realize it or not, there is power that comes with that. And you need it week in, week out. You need to be rooted in deep community around other people in a circle going, I need to do life and gain strength to do what God's called me to do out in the world, out in the city. I need to give financially. I need to give my life away. I need to volunteer. And I'm just gonna tell you, you can resist this if you want. But some of you have the greatest intention tensions in the world because you are not rooted consistently and deeply in the local church. You are finding yourself, tell me if I'm wrong, consistently falling short in terms of having the strength that you need to be light where God's placed you. You have been called to join together with the body of Christ and be all in. And gather week in and week out. Not when it's just convenient or your kids don't have a game or you know the weather's bad, so I'm gonna show up. But no, no, I'm gonna make this the priority of my life, and God will begin to work through that. So, students, man, with this, you're salt and light of your high school, salt and light of your college. You're like, nobody pays attention to me, nobody cares, nobody knows who I am. This is a promise from God. Salt always preserves, light always shines, you will have an impact. You're the salt and light of your industry. You're the salt and light of the sales department. You're the salt and light of Home Depot. You're the salt and light of that school. You're the salt and light of that classroom. You're the salt and light of the HOA. You're the salt and light of that neighborhood. You're the salt and light of the boardroom that you don't want to be a part of. You're the salt of that friend group and you don't even have the courage to live differently, but God's calling you to live differently. You're the salt and light of that fraternity and sorority. You're the salt and light of this place where God has you in this moment. You're the salt and light of your team your kids' team, your school, your neighborhood, friend group. For some of you, you're the salt and light of your home. Yesterday, we held a funeral on site here with a man that was baptized not many months ago and died unexpectedly, 35 years old. And what I was struck by is the different stories around people in his life as he was walking through some really difficult stuff, really difficult demons. And they just kept showing up. They just kept being salt, kept being light, kept believing, kept praying, kept influencing, kept being there, kept answering calls, kept praying. And one of his best friends that was gonna be a best man in his wedding in about six weeks talked about the fact that he just felt this nudge, like he'd been friends for a long time of like, man, I, just, I wanna be salt and light to this guy. I wanna, I wanna share the hope that I have. And there's a conversation unprovoked where this, his friend is finally like, they didn't even begin the conversation. He's like, I just, I don't have, want anything to do with Christianity. So he's like, okay, well, shuts that down. But he just kept showing up, kept being salt, kept being light. And eventually within several months, got a call from this guy. And on the other end of the phone, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And within a short amount of time, he went public with his faith through baptism. And then unexpectedly, a couple of weeks ago, passed away. And the thing that moved me was the fact that there is a bunch of people who are followers of Jesus that just believe this. And they believe that it's real and that everybody spends forever somewhere and that you've been placed where you've been placed for a reason and the people around you matter. And it's not for somebody else to do your salt, your light you've been called and because of that at that funeral yesterday we were able to mourn but celebrate what we believe because of a resurrected savior but that because of somebody with salt and light and this guy's decision to place his faith and trust in jesus that as of this moment, he is healthy and whole and he is perfect and he is in the presence of his savior and that nothing is ever gonna be able to undo that because it's the result of what Jesus has done for him. And that almost always happens because somebody is willing to be salt and light in the context that God has placed them. So I just wanna tell you, you have no idea who is on the verge of a breakthrough around you. So do what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And in our prayer from the very beginning, and I have not decreased in any confidence in praying this prayer, is that we are going to change a region as we come around this idea, but we need hundreds of people and eventually thousands of people to go. This is what we've been called to do in the community. Not play games and sing songs and pat ourselves on the back because we sat in a row to recognize that we have a massive calling in our city to let people know what we are for and to point them to their father in heaven because everybody matters to God whether God matters to them or not. And so let's be salt, let's be light, let's give, let's serve, let's love. And I'll just tell you from experience, when you think there is no possibility for change, that God can't do it, that you're insignificant, that your role is not important. God will make a way. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, do your thing in this moment. All I can do is deliver your truth. I pray this a lot. I am inadequate. I am in way over my head. My words or some presentation have no ability to change any heart, any life, transform anybody, but you do. And God, I feel the weight of this so much in my own life. And I I feel the weight of this as a pastor, part of this expression of your movement, that this is real, that we've been called to this. And I think for so many of us, including me, I, I I think there's windows and areas of our life where we need to repent, where we need to surrender our lives, we need to recognize that we are consumed with everything else, rather than the primary calling of our lives. So I pray somehow that you would awaken that and the people that are a part of this body, this family, this church, and we'd never be the same. And so do your thing in this moment, and we pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Center Point Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?